0: You're listening to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, presented by Kraus Health, the exclusive healthcare partner of Syracuse Athletics. Welcome back to another edition of the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, and today we've got a very special guest as we continue our series of interviews with folks from Jim Boeheim's playing and coaching career. Uh, it's uh, one of the assistant coaches from Jim's very first staff as a head coach at Syracuse, Rick Pitino. Rick Thank you so much for coming on and joining us here today.
1: Well, th- it's it's an honor to be part of this. Uh, love Jim, love uh, everything he did for me, and certainly what he's done for basketball.
0: Well, the I guess one of the first things he ever did for you is he gave you a job, right? He, he uh, When he gets the head coaching job at Syracuse, he reaches out and he hires you to be on his staff. And I, I want to get to the story. We've I've heard the story before, but first of all, had you known Jim before?
1: Know him to say hello to him. I, I used to work the five-star basketball camp and I would give, all the visiting coaches would come in. I'd give a lecture to the camp and they would watch the station work and got to know him through that. Jim would always watch all the station work. About 10% of the coaches uh, watch station work. Uh, 90% of them watch the game. So Jim was a basketball junkie and got to know him. He was an assistant coach. Um, and then when he became a head coach, He wanted to change. He said Roy Danforth was brilliant at the 2-3 zone. He wanted to play more man-to-man. He thought I could help him in that area. And uh, we did actually play a lot of man-to-man the first two years.
0: Uh, That's what some of the guys from back then have said. Uh, You you guys ran, you man-to-man, a little press. Yep. must have been exciting. Now, okay, before we go any further, we do have to get into the very famous off-told story about how he reached out to you to make this hire. You had just gotten married?
1: Yes, just got married. And uh, we were getting ready to go to Hawaii on a, our honeymoon. And Jim uh, said, he, he for three, four hours, he wanted an answer right away. He just got the job. He wanted an answer right away. At that time, I was being considered for the Fordham assistant, the head coach of Wagner. I was really interested in the head coach of Wagner at the time. Uh, didn't know much about Syracuse, knew it snowed a lot, knew it was cold, uh, but it was Jim's first job, certainly. But he wanted me to go right away to recruit Louis R to Cincinnati. He had, and he had to no right away. So we we met for about three and a half hours and I finally went upstairs and I said, I've got great news. Uh, well, I said I had good news and bad news to my wife. <laughs> well, let's start with the bad news. The bad news is we've we got to cancel the honeymoon or postpone it. You've got to go to Syracuse and look for housing. Uh, I've got to go to Cincinnati to recruit Lewis R. and she took it like a trooper because we obviously I was unemployed. Uh, but it was three hours of of deep conversation about what he envisioned. Jim speaks very slow at that time. he he takes his time in, in what he wants to say. Yeah. Uh, but he's a, he was an outstanding when you put Jim on a couch in a home recruiting wise, People wouldn't envision this, but Jim's outstanding on a couch. He's believable; you trust him, you believe him. He becomes your best pal. So he was outstanding in, in the home recruiting, and he was certainly convinced me to join the staff.
0: <laughs> you were in—you you were his first recruit in a sense. So it was actually an in-person interview. He came down to New York City, where you, yes, where the Americana
1: working. Hotel, which today is the Sheraton.
0: There ought to be a market. He wasn't
1: invited to the lot. wedding. He wasn't invited to the wedding, but he, he did meet me. <laughs>
0: there really needs to be a historical marker in the lobby somewhere for this, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, did you go direct to Cincinnati, or did you were you able to go to Syracuse first? And yes, I them? believe I went to
1: Syracuse for a day, and then I, I hooked up, met this agent named Ron Grinker. Oh, Don Cronson was friends with Jim, and uh, they set it up. And the toughest job I had getting Lewis or to commit he was ready to commit it was all set up for me but getting him on a plane he had a great fear of flying and I just had to convince him that I would sit next to him and everything would be fine
0: <laughs> uh you know the other two recruits in this recruiting class you know get you Roosevelt Bowie and Hal Cohen uh you know we're talking to Hal for this series you know, what was their first impression of all these three guys that are going to be like, you know, this first class that that Jim brings in?
1: Well, Roosevelt had a bigger reputation. Lewis was about 168 pounds, knew how to play, but he was skinnier than skinny. I mean, he was 169, 168 pounds. Everything was ahead of him looking down the road. Didn't know much about how. Uh, at all, uh, Roosevelt had a much bigger reputation at the time. Jim was recruiting him. How was the local kid? I I believe, and uh, certainly um, uh, Lewis was down the road.
0: So, what was Jim like at that stage as a head coach? Because he's he's a first year head coach taking over at his alma mater. What what what's he like as a coach? You know, Jim. Jim's really a
1: selfless individual. He he has. He he's very confident in himself, but he doesn't show that. Um, he's a great listener. He'll he's very argumentative. He'll argue for two hours and then say, Okay, we're gonna do it that way. Uh, but he's gonna put up a fierce argument. He's the type of guy in a room that he'll he'll say, Well, the Democrats are best for this country. And the second hour, without question, the Republicans. He's taken both sides and he's argued the case extremely well. And then when you go home at night, you'll say to yourself, was he a Democrat or is he a Republican? You have no <laughs> idea. So he's, he poshes it and sets it all up. He's
0: going to win that argument because he's going to take both sides. So take me back. What was it like to, for those games uh, at Manly House back in those days?
1: Uh, he was just such a loyal guy to the players. It, I never forget this as long as I live because Rob Lowen was a writer for the Post Standard. And Rob was a good guy. We always spoke. We always kidded with him. We were playing Magic Johnson. Marty Burns had a great game. And I think we won the game. I think we beat Michigan State. Marty Burns said, "But, but Magic had an unbelievable game. We didn't know it. He was Irvin Johnson at that time. And at the end, Jim walked through the press room. I was talking to one of the writers. He crumbled up the stat sheet and threw it at Rob Blowen and said, Irvin Johnson, Marty Byrne deserved that MVP. Irvin Johnson, are you kidding me? With some vulgarity mixed in to <laughs> <I> look back <laughs> years later. How the hell could we give that to Magic Johnson over Marty Byrd?
0: <laughs> um, and you said that Roy Danforth had played a lot of two, three zone. You guys were going to play man, the man. He
1: played all 2-3 all zone, and Jim wanted to mix it up. He wanted to learn other things. I was a man-to-man coach, and we played about 50%, 60% man-to-man. Uh, we mixed it up quite a bit. We pressed quite a bit. Um, Jim was great for giving his assistant coaches a lot of leeway in practice. He would allow you to, to teach, and I grew an awful lot under him because he allowed me to do things.
0: Since I have a New Yorker here with us today, I got to ask you at the end of his very first season as a head coach, you guys make it to the NCAAs and you're going to play Tennessee. Do I have the year, right? It's Tennessee, right? Right. With Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld. Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld, the Bernie and Ernie show. Yeah. How in the world did you beat those guys? Well,
1: you know, as I look back, um, I think we lost to Cedric Maxwell in the in the next round, as my memory serves me. I can't believe I'm remembering these things as well at 71. But um, yeah, I I will say this: we had a we had a, a group of guys that were highly intelligent, and we had a head coach that was highly intelligent. So we were going to beat teams with our brains as much as our brawn, and we beat that team because. Jim set up a game plan and we were highly intelligent in that game, doing a lot of great things.
0: Well, as the son of two University of Tennessee grads, I'm not real happy with you guys still. Uh and neither are my my folks. So uh I, I that game that, that game hit hurt right in in the heart of Tennessee fans because the Bernie and Ernie show was a special time in Knoxville.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. And they, and they, they had a great, great team, but we we just We were a very, very smart basketball team. And it was, and, you know, Jim is a very well-read, very, very highly educated man um, on on a lot of different topics. So you're not going to outthink Jim. He's a great timeout guy. He's great in the huddles, making adjustments. Early on, he was brilliant. Brilliant. I learned an awful lot
0: from him. You move on after two years. You go to Boston U., and just a few years later, you're back in the Big East. You, you, you come in with Providence. What was it like to coach against Jim and those Syracuse teams in, in the like mid-80s? You know, we've I've won my share. He's won his share.
1: Uh, the one thing that Jim and I understood, the players were going to, going to determine who wins or loses. We were always friends before the game, friends after the game. We appreciate, you know, he knew how much respect I had for him. I knew how much respect he had for me. He knew he gave me a big break and he knew I was always appreciative of it. So we were always friends. There was never a bitter competition at all.
0: You know, when you left Syracuse to go take that Boston U job, did he give you any, you know, parting words? Was there any advice on your way out the door? He, he really didn't want me to take the job. Oh. I was
1: taking a pay cut by about 1500 $1,500. Uh, I was driving a nice Chevrolet Impala and I was given a Renault Lacar. <laughs> so <laughs> and and the standard of living was much more difficult. Um, and and here's another reason. I wasn't ready to be a head coach. I really wasn't. I was 24 and I didn't know enough. I wasn't ready yet. Um, my college coach Jack Lehman was a great player at at Boston U. He recommended me. He's, I told him, I said, coach, I don't know if I'm ready to be a head coach. He said, it's okay. No one is going to judge you. No one comes to those games. You're going to be able to be in your own laboratory, develop your own style of play. And he was right. We averaged about 250 people a game. <laughs> and we remember now we, we weren't playing in the carrier. Dome. We were playing in the Manly Fieldhouse at that time.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, I, from what everybody tells me back in those days, the crowds at Manly Fieldhouse were just amazing.
1: Oh, it was a dust bowl. At halftime, it was it. What a home court advantage! It was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun those two years.
0: You know, I I had come around and started covering the team in in the early nineties, and it was ninety six Final Four at the Meadowlands. And I remember you 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 were up there on on the big uh, you know table, the dais there with the big press conferences, and you were just regaling people with these stories about Jim and all these funny stories. And I remember a lot of people saying that y- you, you at that Final Four really helped change people's perception of Jim. Do you remember that? Do you see it that way? That you know
1: it was really. Well, like- I, I always see Jim in a different light that other people see. Uh, you know, I I see the kindness in him. I see the generosity in him. I see the uh, the person. You know, when he uh, on the sidelines or at a press Jim is not at his best at a press conference jim's at his best with his team away from with his friends uh he's at his best when he's comfortable and he you know he doesn't react when you put him in a, a situation especially with the media whether he's defending his players or whatever it may be certain people are good at certain things and if you said to me that's probably jim's weakest point uh in his as a coach is probably when he deals with the media
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh whether it's a stat sheet at Rob Lowen or, or whatever it may be, he's just boiling upset at the time that we lost. Now, if you would have given him a half hour, 45 minutes, he'd be great. But it's tough after a loss. You know, there's so much at stake. And um, he took losings uh, not well at all. None of us do. But uh, he he Jim is so much better than people even know the person. A lot of people know his zone. A lot of people know what he does. Fast break, his press, his recruiting ability, his coaching ability. But I know him as a person and I've always respected the person as much as the coach. And my admiration in both areas is off the charts.
0: You know, um, I've seen at championship games or final fours, coaches that know each other, they have to face each other. And then, you know, someone's going to lose this game. I remember when Dean Smith and Roy Williams were at, Final Fours together. It was not fun for either man. What was that like in 96 when you and Jim, at Kentucky and Syracuse, meet in the championship game?
1: Well, I'll tell you something. It, it, we, we we were the best team. I, I thought my second unit could have won a national championship. We were blowing. I think the average margin of victory in a tough SEC was like 24 points we were winning per game. <laughs> but that was one of the worst final games I've ever witnessed in my life. I've watched it numerous times. It was an awful game. And it was an awful game because the 2-3 zone made it awful, made it difficult on us. Well, we were putting on a offensive clinic against everybody. We couldn't do that against Syracuse. So I, I forgot what we won by 7, 8, or 9. Yeah. Uh, and I was thrilled. But to be honest with you, I think Jim had to beat Kansas with Paul Pierce and Jacques Vaughn and and uh, the other uh, Rafe LaFrance. I think that was the team. Yeah, in the uh, Elite Eight. Yes and and that was a phenomenal basketball team. So Jim upset them almost upset a team that was the best in the country by far in us. So that was a brilliant coaching job. Jim Jim's team was they, they were good. But his brilliance made them great.
0: How did you see Jim co- change as a coach over the years cuz you're there at the beginning, and then you, you you see him at Providence. You see him at Kentucky in that final. You see him later on when you're at Louisville. So you coached against him for the entirety of his career. Yeah, Jim
1: Jim was a little in the beginning, like like I was in the beginning, a little unsure of what to run, what to do. Should we mix it up? Should, what should we do? And so he was a great listener. As time went on, um, it's not that he, he would always listen because he always wanted to improve things but jim was sure of himself he he had the recipe now with his system to win it wasn't the beginning right now we're in our laboratory coming together and trying to boil things up to see what works so he, he was quite sure of himself by the time i i came back around
0: you know what i always thought was poetic that uh, syracuse's last game ever as a member of the big east is in the 2013 Big East Tournament Finals against your Louisville Cardinals. You you and Jim, uh, you know, met at the Garden in what would be Syracuse's last Big East game ever. I was wondering if that had any special meaning to you or to both of you.
1: Well, I tell you, that was the most unique game. I've always, I've had some unbelievable comebacks. So the largest road comeback in the history of the game was Fat Tuesday against LSU. I think we were down 35 with 1530 to go on the road and came back and won in regulation. But the Syracuse game, they were dominating us. We were down, I think, 16 or 18 in the second half and went on something like a 40 something to three run. Um, And that gave us the confidence to go on and win a national championship. So they kicked our butt in for about 25 minutes. And then we we went on the most incredible run. And I remember because I was supposed to meet the press and couldn't get out of the locker room because Syracuse had a special guest. A Syracuse uh, alumnus had a special guest. Bill Clinton He w- was at the game. And he asked if he could come in the locker room. And he kept us telling stories in that locker room for almost 40 minutes after winning the championship. And um, he, he was there, though, because, as the guest of, a, of Syracuse people. So, you know, we've had some great, great battles. He's won some. I've won some, uh, to be honest with you, in the national championship game. Syracuse didn't even belong in the final four, but his coaching ability was the reason they were there.
0: John Wallace is going to be so mad at you the next time he sees you. Oh, um, listen, John Wallace is <laughs> great, but name the other guys. Name the other guys. I can, but I'm. A, I, I, that's cheating. Uh, yeah, you, but you can, but
1: it's not... <laughs> college's household names right they were i guess down players very good basketball players but it's not like you see you know four draft choices or three draft choices you know two in the first two in the second
0: yep yep uh yeah i i could but i'd be a ringer in that one i you're right most other people would not get it one more um apologies to otis hill uh did, did, in his in his last few years as a coach did you ever talk to Jim about how long he was going to continue or retirement or you know why he even continued to coach why he wanted to stay in for so long
1: no, this for all the syracuse people this is not a knock on your town okay but if you're intending on retiring to skinny atlas and living in the syracuse area and you're not going to florida you're going to coach until you're 80 85 because what else is there to do in Syracuse during the wintertime? If you don't have basketball and you're not going to Florida, what are you going to do? And Jim likes poker now. He didn't like poker back then. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I think Jim just has a incredible love for the city of Syracuse, the university more so than any person I've ever met. Obviously we know the story of Bob Knight. He left Indiana with great bitterness Uh, Dean Smith always had that great affinity for North Carolina. John Wooden uh, was looking at times to get out of UCLA and was considering going back to the Midwest. There was not an ounce of consideration for Coach Jim Beheim to leave Syracuse. There was something about Syracuse in his blood that he would never leave. And it's remarkable. Um, You know, I had two great years there, but I was looking forward to uh, getting away from the snow for a bit.
0: Are you surprised? that now in retirement as a coach that he's gotten into the media, he's doing game calling games. Uh, and, and have you, have you had a chance to catch him?
1: I haven't. I'm sure he's glib. I'm sure he's, he's very good. at. I think he'll gain more and more confident uh, confidence because he'll probably see it through a lens that nobody else can see. Uh, but he, he, another thing people don't know about him, he's extremely funny and glib and he has a great sense of humor. He's very, um, uh, you know, he's, he has a typical New York sarcasm and uh, he'll he'll make fun of himself in a way that's funny. Uh, so I hope he's great because it gives you something to do. Uh, I know like him, when you retire, after coaching that long, you got to find things to do that are worthwhile.
0: Last question before we get you out of here. And in advance, I thank you so much again for your time, Rick. But as as we look over the course of Jim Beheim's whole career, uh, you know, and so for some folks, this would include his playing career at Syracuse as well. But if you want to, you can start in 1976 as a head coach. But w- what is Jim Beheim's legacy, in your opinion?
1: His legacy to me, you know, we we all we all say our legacy are the players that cross over bridges and assisting coaches. So Jim has built a bridge for so many people to cross over into prosperity for their families, for their loved ones. He built that bridge, not only as a player, but his legacy is always going to be loyalty. Loyalty to his players, loyalty to a university, loyal to his city. There's no more loyal person in the coaching ranks ever than Jim Beheim to those three areas.
0: That's a terrific way to put it, Rick. I appreciate that. Um, And again, I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're busy. You got that St. John's team. That you're working really hard. I we watch. Uh, I, I watched your team's games. They're, they're playing like Rick Pitino teams. They're getting better. It's going to take us a year or two, but we'll get there. It's just going to take some time. Well, again, thank you for joining us and in our series of podcasts with folks from Jim Beheim's career leading up to Saturday, February 24th, at the JMA Wireless Dome, where Syracuse will be celebrating uh, his uh, his entire Syracuse career. So again, thank you, Rick. Thanks. Join us next time for the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for Syracuse Athletics.